listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So I would this morning like to invite you in your Bibles or on your devices to the minor prophet of Micah. Sometimes difficult to find him. He is kind of tucked away in the later part of the Old Testament. But you can also mark Romans 11. But Micah chapter 4. So we are halfway through this minor prophet. We have been walking through for several weeks now. And seeing some amazing things from the prophet of Micah. You know it began with God choosing a small unassuming nation named Israel, to be the ones in the world to reflect His glory. They were to be examples of God's love and mercy by living in what the Scriptures show us in covenant with God. They were to live in this relationship with Him so that others would see who they were and why they were doing certain things. They were to be God's light to a dark world, but they chose to go their own way. In fact, they chose to live just like their neighbors. So we see what happens because of their sin and rebellion. It doesn't take long that this nation, it's no longer one, it's divided. In the northern kingdom of, of Israel and the, the ten tribes in the north are divided. The southern kingdom of Judah. We've seen over and over again that there is this phrase that, that I, I just can't get away from, that sin demands judgment. Every time they sinned, it was heaping upon the need in the amount of punishment that they would need to endure. Every act of rebellion, every time they sacrificed to false gods, every time they took advantage of someone, every time they purchased a new idol to decorate their home, Every time they saw something their neighbor had and they wanted it, every time they did these things their way and not God's, every single sin was adding to the amount of punishment needed. And so Israel, we see them failing miserably. But God's desire was to bring His people back into faithful covenant relationship with Himself. So God puts a plan in place. And so God begins sending messengers to his people. And Micah is one of these messengers. The message is that because of their consistent sinfulness and rebellion, God was going to take everything they were trusting in. He was going to take their land. He was going to take their security. He was going to take their prosperity. He was even going to take their national freedom. But God's desire was for his people to turn back to him. And so for three chapters now, we have seen over and over Micah stand up and say, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. But in chapter 4, Micah's going to try a new approach. He's going to go at this a different angle. Because have you ever heard somebody come up to you and say, I have good news and bad news. What do you want first? Well, I actually found a study this past week, and it depends on whether you're the giver or the receiver. This study found that if you're on the receiving end, the study showed that more than 75% wanted the bad news first. 
You know, if people know that they're going to get bad news, they'd rather just go ahead and get it over with. And then there's good news to follow, and you end on a high note. But if you're a giver of news, you often, it showed that you like to give the bad news first. If people know they're going to give bad news, they would rather just get it over with, pull that Band-Aid off quick. But good news or bad news? And so today, Micah is going to bring a message, you guess what, of good news. He's going to try a different angle, but good news is not always good news. Sometimes good news is bad news. And you might be wondering, how in the world is good news bad news? Well, Here's one example I want you to see this morning from the screen. So today, Micah's hearers are going to hear some good news finally. For some, it is going to be the best news they could ever imagine. But for some, it will not. And at the conclusion of this morning, uh, I hope we're all faced with a very important question of, is the news good or is it bad news for us? So Micah chapter 4, let's begin in verse 1 and hopefully we'll make it through the entire chapter this week and then next week. Man, I hope you're here. I hope you'll come back. Uh, Next week, baptisms are going to happen. It's going to be a great morning to celebrate. And then we will look at the most famous verse in the entire book of Micah. But beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days. Now, the first nine words, Micah poses for us two very important questions. First, what is coming to pass or what is happening? What is he talking about? 
And then what does he mean by the latter or the last days? So let's look at the answer to that first part. That what is coming to pass? What does Micah have in mind when he says, It shall come to pass. Look at the next part of verse 1. That the mountain of the house of the Lord, it shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above all the hills and the peoples will flow to it. Now, in verses 1 to 2, something here is described as a mountain rising up, and it becomes the house of the Lord. And so, Micah gives us, there's probably a few options. And one, it could be that Micah is actually referring to a literal mountain that's going to kind of grow up, and it's going to be bigger than all the other mountains around. Now, could God do that? Absolutely. But another option, some scholars say that Micah is referring here to Jesus. That Jesus came out of this area. and He was raised up on a mountain of Golgotha. Many people followed him. And listen, I, I, like, I like this option. In fact, I like anything to do with Jesus. But is that what Micah is talking about? Third, some believe it could be referring to where we are now in the church age. That it is a time where God's word is publicly being proclaimed over and over again. And people are coming into God's family, Jew and Gentile. Could that be it? Well, the fourth option is Micah could actually be referring to a time that the Bible calls the millennial reign. The millennial reign is a time... That where when Jesus will come and he will rule here on earth before eternity begins. Micah could be referring to the temple being rebuilt and true worship being reestablished. And during this time, people will come from all over the world to gather in this place. So if we have a few options, maybe the answer is question two might be a little helpful to find out what is Micah talking about. So when is this, he talks about last days, or mine says latter days. In fact, you see this phrase several times throughout the Bible. Last days could be referring to the last of an era, maybe of a king or something like that. It could be talking about days of a, a period of time, of a, a famine or a drought. Could even be talking about the end of the world. But we know, for example, that we are living actually in the last days. But what does that mean? Well, Paul tells us that in 2 Timothy that these are, he calls it, the last days. But, man, it's been over almost 2,000 years since he said that. What does he mean by that? Paul meant that there is nothing else we are waiting on for Jesus to return. There's no other event other than God the Father sending the Son to call His bride home. There's nothing else we are waiting on. So let's read verses 1 through 4, and I'll share with you what I think Micah is referring to. So it shall come to pass in the latter days that a mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and, and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. 
From out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit with every man under his own vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. See, here's what I think it is. I don't think you have to put all of your eggs just in one basket. I think this prophecy began with Jesus coming into the world. People were coming from all over to hear him and to see him. He was raised up on a mountain, but we're not home yet. I think the prophecy then continues into the church age, where the church is raised up as the bride of Christ, and people are coming to know and to believe in Christ. But we're not all the way home yet. Here's why. Micah describes this time of peace in verse 3, where people are going to turn their weapons into farming tools. Why? Because there will be no need for weapons. There will only be a time of unbelievable peace. In fact, Micah even describes a time of prosperity in verse 4, where it says each man will be under his own fig tree, and there will be no fear of someone coming to take it from him. So I think ultimately, Micah is referring to a time that will come at the end of the church age, and we will find its fulfillment in the millennial reign of Christ. And I want you to know what an amazing time that is going to be. But this is only good news. It's not only, I mean, in fact, it's not only good news, it's great news. But it gets even better. Look at verse 5. For the peoples, look at what they're going to do. They're going to walk each in the name, wait, of its God. But we We're going to walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, He's going to assemble the lame and gather those that have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame, I will make the remnant. And those who were cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forever. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. So Micah describes the Lord here in shepherding terms. The shepherd, he's going to gather his sheep. And I love where he says he's going to assemble the lame those that were often outcast and neglected and left out, he's going to gather them together. Those that have been driven away, he's going to bring them home. God is going to send them away into exile for a while. We've been seeing for three chapters, but the promise is that I will bring you back home. The shepherd of the Lord, he will then reign forever. And there'll be freedom from war, freedom from want, and even freedom from fear. People will no longer be cast out or a divided nation. They will be brought back together 
And not only are they going to survive, they will thrive like they never have before. Imagine the people sitting here listening to this after watching the northern tribe already be conquered and taken off, knowing that the same fate is coming for them. But the promise that one day, one day there will be a reunion. One day they will no longer have to worry in looking over their shoulder. One day they'll no longer have to worry and walk around in fear if they're going to have enough. But remember that good news is not always good news. Sometimes good news is bad news. But how in the world can a time of reunion and peace and prosperity, how is that bad news? Well, look at verses 9 through 10. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Rithin, groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in open country. You shall go to Babylon. So Michael returns to that thought of judgment. He's describing people crying out as a woman giving birth. They will wail and they will scream because they're going to be sent out from their city. In the city, this was their place of protection and security. But it says they're going to be sent out into open country. And all of this is because of their rebellious and sinful hearts and that they refuse to turn to the Lord. But Micah says, but there's hope. Look at the end of verse 10. There. From there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So Micah says, you are going to go, but no, there will come a time of rescue. The Lord will redeem you from their enemies. The time of exile, he says, listen, it's coming, but it will not last forever. And Micah wants to make sure they understand. So he delivers the message again. Look at verse 11. Now many nations are assembled against you, meaning there is nothing you can do about it. And they're going to fact, they're going to come and say, "Let her be defiled, but let our eyes gaze upon Zion." So their enemies, they're going to rise up against them, and they will come and they will defile and they will degrade them. But if they look upon Zion, there will be a great Hope. And I love, I love these next verses. But they, they do not know my thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand His plan. That He has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. And shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. You remember what Hezekiah has just done? Hezekiah came into this and he's threatened by the king of Assyria. And he's trying to pay him off and he strips the city of every valuable thing it had. He even went into the temple and he stripped the gold from the doors and the walkways. 
God says once again, they have a plan. Your enemies have a plan, but they don't know something. They don't know my thoughts. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take your enemies and I'm going to gather them to a threshing, <coughs> a threshing floor. In fact, God says, I'm going to gather all of your enemies one day. And he's going to gather them all together. And in this floor, it's like he's going to take them and he's going to lay out those, those pieces of wheat. And the workers then would gather and they would stomp on that wheat until there was nothing left. And they separated that grain. And God says, that's exactly what I'm going to do for them. I'm going to gather them in one place and I'm going to take them to the woodshed. And his people, Israel, once again, they will not only survive, that they will thrive. Because he says, you'll be ones like horns like iron, hooves of bronze. They will be strong as they've never been before. So why such a peculiar picture? And this is what I think Micah is getting after. Micah, he, he wants to make it clear. That Judah was going to suffer. He says, it's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. Because you've refused to follow me, I'm sending you into exile. Yet, in the face of such deep distress, there's always hope. And there's always grace. In fact, his purpose is to encourage that there will be a remnant of believers in Judah, that are going to survive and they need to cling to the kingdom promises even when that kingdom is ensured as they're going to suffer exile. Micah doesn't want them to lose hope. He says, man, dark days are coming, but keep your eyes on Zion. But it's interesting, is that in this chapter that for three chapters, Micah is talking judgment, judgment, judgment. And there's always hope. But now he, he lays out this incredible good news. So why would he do that? Well, I believe it's because good news is not always good news. Sometimes good news is exactly bad news. For me, I, I think the key is in verse 5. Look at it. It says, For... All the peoples walk each in the name of its God. There's going to be people and they're going to follow after their own ways. They are going to be their own God. But we, a small remnant, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So I, I think here's the point to Micah 4. There's two groups of people. The point is that this future time of peace and, and prosperity, it will be for a group that follows after the Lord. But for those that don't, it is not good news. This future time, this time that will follow for those that walk in the name of the Lord, it is going to be a time like they could never imagine. But Micah wants those who are going to walk in the name of their God and do as they choose to know exactly what they are missing out on. It is judgment to those that are listening to Micah because Micah tells them there will be glory days. But it will be the future 
and they will not be able to experience it. He wants them to know what's coming. He wants them to know how great it's going to be, but he's going to try to tell them that it's not what you can expect. So chapter 4 is not just good news, but it's incredible news for those who are going to walk in the name of the Lord. But it's just bad news. In fact, it's horrible news for those who are going to walk in the name of their gods. So church, there, there is a time coming that is more amazing than we could ever imagine. There'll be a time where people are going to thirst and hunger for God's word like we have never seen before. There'll be a reunion for all those that are in Christ. There will be a time of peace and war will never be seen again. There'll be a time of prosperity. There'll be freedom from wants. There'll be no more disease and no more pain and no more death. And listen, it began at the cross. It will continue through the church age. But when that millennial reign is established, we will finally see the fulfillment of this prophecy. But this is not good news for everyone. Micah wanted them to know that they will be what they will be missing out on if they continue to follow their sinful ways. But I want you to see. That God has a plan even through Israel's rebellion. Israel failed miserably to live in covenantal relationship with God. Listen, God could have thrown up his hands in frustration. He could have been, I tried and you wanted nothing to do with me. And he could have gone on to something else. But because God is all-knowing and because God is all-powerful... God turned their sinful rebellion into good news for others. Romans chapter 11, verse 11, shows us that God had a plan all along, even in their rebellion, that He is above their sin, and He takes their sin, and He turns it into something incredible. Look at verse 11. Paul is writing, and he says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches to the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if the rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will this acceptance mean but life from the dead? So God turned their sinful rebellion into our blessing. God turned uh, His affection toward the Gentiles and salvation is offered to those now outside the city, outside of Jerusalem. God turned their bad news into our good news. But the great news is God's not finished with Israel. There is coming a day that some will turn back to Him. Now, how beautiful is it that God used their sinful rebellion to bless the world, but He's not going to forget them. 
He could have just kicked him to the curb and thrown up his hands in frustration, but God still has a plan. And the plan began at the cross. It's continuing through this church age, and it will come to completion in the millennial reign. So now let me ask us the question. Is the coming of eternal blessing good news for you, or is it judgment? Do you know for certain that you will be able to experience it? Because the only one who can make that possible and give you assurance is the one we've been singing about all morning, and his name is Jesus. Because God's always got a plan. Even in for our sinful rebelliousness, God has a plan. And we saw it through Israel, and we can see it in our lives. So I want to leave you today with the thoughts from a guy named Del Ralph Davis. He says this, The time will come when the muscles and the masses of the nations will stand arrayed and salivating over the people of God. But they don't know the plans of Yahweh. God's people should find solid encouragement here. In fact, you may fear that the cultural and physical assaults of the nations today are going to overwhelm Messiah's people. But they, but they do not know the plans of Yahweh. And so our takeaway today is this. See, God has always got a plan. Even in our sinful rebelliousness, God has always got a plan, and He can use it. He used the sinful rebelliousness of Israel to then take salvation and bless the world. And so when we look around and we can be discouraged and we can feel like the enemies are lined up and they are salivating over God's people and that there is no hope, we can rest assured that they don't know the plans of Yahweh. So the challenge today is will you follow the, the ways of Yahweh today so that the good news is exactly that good news? Let's pray. Father, this morning, what an interesting turn of events. That you are speaking to this group of people thousands of years ago. In a world that probably is hard for us to imagine. A world that lived very and functioned very differently. But how truthful it is even for us today. That Micah brings this good news but for some, it is not that. It is just the opposite. But Father, how you used their sinful, rebellious hearts, that all along you were weaving a plan to bring salvation to the world. But Father, I'm thankful that you haven't forgotten your first love, that you will once again bring them home. So Father, in all of your working, you are gracious and you are merciful. And so, Father, as we leave this place today, may we be encouraged as we look around and the world is troubled and the circumstances of our lives seem unbearable. But, Father, we know that you have a plan. And so when the enemy pulls back that bow to fire those arrows over the wall, we can rest assured that they don't know your plans. And so, Father, give us the faith Give us the faith to believe that you are all-powerful. Give us the faith to believe that you 
are in control. And give us the faith to believe that you are always good. So, Father, that we, no matter what is around us, that we can say, you have a plan. And it is in your Son that we can ask all of this. And because of him, and through your Spirit, we say, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.